back to Lightshed Research, a podcast that puts our research notes in your ears for your convenience. March 11th, 2021, 10 questions for AT&T's Investor Day. In our final Investor Day question list, we turn to AT&T, who hosts theirs at 10 a.m. tomorrow. This will unfortunately complicate the recording of our weekly podcast, which continues to show great growth. Thank you. We will still get the weekly podcast out by end of day. Also, as a reminder, T-Mobile is hosting its Analyst Day later today, and we posted 10 questions for their management team. And now Rich Greenfield, who will kick off our 10 questions for AT&T. Number one, does vertical integration really help WarnerMedia, or would greater IP content scale be more important? Back at the HBO Max Streaming Investor Day, you talked about the churn benefits to AT&T Wireless from transforming HBO into HBO Max. Can you quantify the wireless churn benefits to date from the launch of HBO Max versus your decision two-plus years ago to add more spectrum to the network? Furthermore, can you explain whether you could have accomplished the same without owning WarnerMedia? T-Mobile bundles in third-party Netflix and Verizon bundles in third-party Disney's Triple Play and Discovery+. Plus. Taking this a step further, is WarnerMedia large enough to win an SVOD, and would it be stronger merged with an industry peer rather than being owned by a vertically integrated distribution platform. Back in November 2020, we wrote, quote, We believe it is time for both AT&T and Comcast to abandon the fool's gold of vertical integration of content and distribution and merge NBC Universal with WarnerMedia. Abandoning grandiose plans and empire building is a tough psychological hump to overcome. However, it would be wildly accretive outcome for investors. We would love to understand why greater scale is not needed for WarnerMedia, particularly as even Disney felt they did not have enough scale heading into the launch of Disney+. Plus, They acquired a majority of Fox. Number two, what happens to Turner's general entertainment networks? Assuming you are not about to merge all of WarnerMedia with NBC Universal, as we hope, we are curious what the future holds for Turner, especially its general entertainment assets. All of your most compelling entertainment content, X Sports and News, appears headed straight to HBO, HBO Max, with each of your peers taking a similar approach as SVOD has become the number one priority. With cord cutting hitting record highs and ad dollars beginning to shift at an accelerating rate from linear TV to connected TVs, the future of basic cable networks such as TBS, TNT, True TV is not bright. Are they simply cash cow assets that fund HBO Max, or do you see a future for those brands and businesses? There has also been increasing noise that you are looking to exit CNN, which feels like the most exciting asset within Turner's portfolio and the only one that succeeded in building a standalone mobile digital presence. We could see selling CNN along with the general entertainment networks to increase the attractiveness of Turner to a buyer, but selling CNN alone would appear to be short-sighted and leaves you with the least exciting part of Turner. Number three, how should we think about 2022 and beyond's movie slate? In late 2020, you made a groundbreaking decision to shift your entire 2021 movie slate to day-and-date HBO Max and theatrical release domestically, in your words, to put the consumer first. You've entitled your Medium post, Some Big 2021 News for Fans. Since then, your peers are all talking about release windows that will never go back to pre-pandemic norms, on top of the fact that Wonder Woman 1984 had a meaningfully positive impact on subscriber editions and activations of HBO Max. In fact, three of the four biggest SVOD subscriber events of the past year were driven by direct-to-SVOD movie releases. As the reopening post-COVID gains momentum, how are you thinking about 2022? 
Should you simply continue to allow consumers to choose between watching at home on HBO Max or going to a theater? Or will you go back to your previous business model and reimpose historic release windows that would keep content from hitting HBO Max for five to six months post-theatrical? Earlier this week, AMC Theater stated that Warner Media provided superior economic terms that made AMC better off with Warner Brothers' day-and-date HBO Max and theatrical release versus the historic sequential release pattern. Could you explain what AMC is talking about? Number four, why introduce ads onto HBO Max? First off, we do not see many consumers saying they wish there were ads disrupting their content experience. HBO and HBO Max combined have more subs than Hulu at far higher prices than Hulu. We also believe that advertising reduces time spent, with recent Peacock data illustrating that premium, with ads, subs, spend half as many monthly hours streaming as ad-free subs. Consumers will naturally gravitate towards the lower-price, ad-supported tier. However, if the end result is less time spent with your product, why do it? Why not focus on investing more in content that drives gross ads and reduces churn and forget about advertising? Not to mention that in a digital world, you're competing in ad sales versus Google, Facebook, and Amazon, let alone Roku and others. Consumers increasingly expect ads to feel like content, and it seems hard to believe that Warner Media has enough data, technology, and advertisers to deliver ads as well-targeted as the tech giants. If the advertising proves less compelling to consumers than a platform such as YouTube, you risk weakening consumer engagement with HBO Max. And now switching over to the wireless business with question number five, does C-band spectrum require network densification? Unbelievably, this is now an actual question because last night Verizon claimed it could roll out C-band on its existing cell site footprint. T-Mobile and nearly all non-Verizon engineers we have spoken with claim otherwise. T-Mobile sizes the densification need as a 50% increase. It would be helpful for AT&T to weigh in on this oddly controversial topic. It would also help to hear their views on the ability of supplemental uplink spectrum to reduce the need for densification. Number six, what is your timeline for deploying C-band? AT&T surprisingly paid a nearly 70% premium to buy certain blocks of C-band spectrum that would be cleared earlier in select markets. That action reflects an interest in building the spectrum within the next two years. Most investors thought AT&T might be winding down its first net wireless investments over this period. It also doesn't seem like the 40 megahertz acquired in these early blocks would be enough to offer speeds that are competitive with T-Mobile or Verizon, who are using deeper spectrum blocks. 7. How much is the RAN sharing deal contributing to profitability in Mexico? AT&T's competitor Telefonica has long struggled in Mexico, and the company has more broadly been pulling back from some Latin American markets. In 2019, Telefonica made the decision to effectively pull back in Mexico by signing a RAN sharing deal with AT&T. We don't know all the details about this agreement, so we would like to get more details on the benefits for AT&T. Meanwhile, AT&T invested heavily to upgrade the legacy networks it acquired when it entered Mexico in 2015. It struggled to achieve profitability for a full year, but it appears to be turning the corner. How much is the RAN sharing deal contributing? Question 8. Do you still expect to hit 7 million fiber subs by the end of 2022? On the Q4 2019 earnings call, John Stanky said that you expect to hit 7 million fiber subs by the end of 2022. If you maintain your current pace of adding 1 million fiber subs per year, you should be able to hit that target with ease. However, you now plan to add 2 million more fiber homes past this year. Is there upside to the subscriber estimate? 
And what is the plan beyond 2022? And does it make sense to add even more fiber homes past this year? Why not extend your fiber to the neighborhood markets to fiber to the home, given the large opportunity in these markets and the demand for this product? What is your penetration in the fiber to the neighborhood markets? And how much could that increase by extending to the home? Number nine, will you remain aggressive with your device upgrade policies? AT&T was chided by its competitors for offering $800 to existing customers wanting to upgrade to the new iPhone 12. AT&T ended up being the only national operator in the United States to report a year-over-year increase in the upgrade rate. It also topped Verizon for new subscriber growth in the quarter. Yet, the impact to cash EBITDA was harsh. Please update us on how you view these policies going forward and whether you expect the replacement cycle to now contract following a six-year lengthening. Number 10. What are the plans for Vrio? AT&T tried unsuccessfully to sell and then IPO Vrio. Its principal asset is Sky Brazil, which is in a country where the currency and political situation have been volatile. However, wireless consolidation in Brazil is underway, and AT&T is in the process of shedding DirecTV. Is there a buyer for this asset? What other ways can you otherwise trim this from reported results? Congratulations for making it through three telecom investor days and have a great weekend. 